I hold in my left hand a remarkable document. It's the Boris Johnson statement which finishes thus, I believe I have much to offer, but I am afraid that this is simply not the right time. Music to my ears. In fact, I wish the whole statement had been set to music and that Boris had sung it. That leads us to our next story as we're joined by Ian Dunt and Naomi Smith on the ongoing leadership crisis. Ian is, of course, columnist with the I newspaper, a regular here on the Little Wireless program, and uh, rejoining him tonight is one of his co-hosts on the Oh God, What Now podcast and CEO of Best for Britain, Naomi Smith. Welcome back to both of you. First to you, Ian. You must be feeling rather happy. Yes, I am, actually. I actually am feeling genuinely very pleased about the way that this is all going. There was a sort of the three days or so where we thought Johnson was coming back was a sort of crushing period of nihilistic defeat where you just think, well, it's just it, isn't it? We're just never going to grow up as a country. These people are just going to bumble through a whole series of the most mendacious, trivial, self-interested charlatans and keep on plunging the country into crisis. And that will be a market crisis, a constitutional crisis, a moral crisis. I mean, he still had, you know, the standards committee looking into him that he would have had to face as prime minister. So that just that whole ghastly specter arises. Now it looks pretty likely, pretty damn likely, really, that Rishi Sunak is going to get it. And he has many, many problems politically. You know, he is wrong about almost everything that he says, but he is wrong at least within the general remit of tolerable political opinion. And the fact that that's what we're going to end up with at the moment is the best that we can possibly hope to attain. Sunak, who in our money is a billionaire, well, through his marriage at least, uh, has at least 180 votes, I understand, which is half the MPs, Ian. Yeah, he looks pretty good to take it. I mean, we're in the, the really final stages of this thing now, and Penny Morden, who's the only person you know left standing running against him, hasn't yet hit the magic number of 100. She says that she's just about to hit it, it's just about to happen, and, you know, we need to have two candidates so it can go to the membership, and there's a full debate over the course of the week. But there aren't that many MPs, Tory MPs, who are named, who are publicly saying that they're supporting her. So it's really not clear whether she, what she's saying is true or not. Talking about not telling the truth, heavens above, Boris told some porkies, didn't he? <laughs> I mean, he, he's just, it's just pure... He's just... Like, there's no other. I mean, I wish there could be a more sort of, you know, complex mercurial analysis to offer, but he's basically just lying. So his team put out, I think it was 3 p.m. on Saturday, they had over 100 names. Oh, of course, those guys aren't going to tell us who they are. They couldn't tell us who they were, but they insisted <laughs> they had 100 names and they'd hit the threshold. Then 9 p.m. on Sunday night, in the statement that you were just saying, you know, should be put to music, and indeed it should be, he says, oh, but, you know, I'm pulling out, but I could have done it if I'd wanted to because I've got 102 <laughs> names, you know, the great. 102 names of people that went to a different school. Now, on what possible basis could he have gone from 100 to 102 over the course of 36 hours? None of that is explained to us. I can hear the gay laughter of Naomi. <laughs> Naomi, tell, tell us about uh, tell us about Mordant. She says, I'm the only candidate who can truly bring the party together and build a winning team. Is anyone buying that? 
No, and the other thing that's happened this morning is that the ERG, so this is the Re European Research Group of sort of hardline Brexiter uh, MPs met and they put out a statement saying that they could not get behind one unity figure. So they are not declaring for either Mordaunt or Sunak. And I think that just helps to cement in uh, the eyes and ears of all of us watching this spectacle unfold that this party is now ungovernable. It is so fractured across so many lines. They are so spent of ideas uh, and, and, and are running on fumes that, no, I don't think she could, because I don't think anybody could at this stage. She's saying she's close to the 100 point, that, you know, she's she's within a hair's breadth of that, just at the time of, you know, of us being on air now, we will know within the next hour or so whether or not she has made it. Going back to last night and Johnson's U-turn on standing and everything that Ian said about the ridiculousness of, oh, no, I've got 100. Yeah, no, I've got 102 now. <laughs> um, the, <laughs> most notably, in terms of his backers who have been humiliated by yet another one of his fibs, is the most notably short-lived Chancellor Nadim Zahawi, who published an opinion piece uh, in the right-wing-leaning Telegraph newspaper backing him minutes, minutes before Johnson then pulled out of the race and that article was swiftly taken down. Ian, all of us make mistakes and on our last encounter you thought Truss uh, had a, you know, another couple of weeks in the job. Perhaps she'd even last till Christmas and you made the point that it was because the Tories didn't have a clear replacement. What the hell happened? I am continuing my track record for being extremely unreliable uh, political <laughs> predictions. I have an almost perfect track record in this regard, so it's entirely in line with that. I mean, really, the thing was, she only had to perform at sort of, you know, 80% of her rate of complete catastrophic diligence in order to survive. I mean, really, things are pointing in her directions, calm down markets, no idea of who they wanted to replace, as we've, you know, seen over the last few days, you know, the absolute sort of chaos of it. She really didn't have to do that much to survive, and yet somehow she found a way of sabotaging her own leadership anyway, and she did it through fracking. I mean, that's the most incredible thing. Like, of all the things to find your career destroyed by, fracking. There is almost no support in this country for fracking, not among the right, the left, the old, the young, university educated, non-university educated, doesn't make any difference. It's deeply unpopular. And yet she made herself vulnerable on it. The opposition Labour Party with a really quite forensic assault, managed to deliver a vote in Parliament that sent her whips, the parliamentary sort of disciplinary function that she operates for her party, into complete disarray. The party fell apart in a night of complete chaos in Westminster. And by the end of it, people just woke up and went, we can't survive another day of her. Like, not even another day. She will absolutely destroy the party. And so in the end, she destroyed her own leadership and, most importantly of all, made another one of my predictions entirely incorrect. So she, go, she goes under the... Sorry, she goes under the bus. <laughs> but it's not exactly party gate. but uh, there are rumours that she's been having some quite fun parties celebrating her brief uh, tenure. Oh, yeah, I mean, like, it, it's been reported <laughs> this morning that she spent 
the weekend at the Prime Minister's country retreat, known as Chequers, a sort of palatial mansion in the countryside, and is quoted to have said something to the effect of, well, at least I got to be Prime Minister. And that just gives you a window <laughs> into how they think that this is a game. It's a game to them, not serious responsibility. Johnson treated it with the same contempt. And this is why we need a general election. We've got to get rid of them because they're not taking any of this seriously enough. And just to you know, put some of this into perspective, her economic decisions will cause some people to lose their homes. That It is causing people to, to default on their bills, to not be able to feed their children and heat their homes. That's the real life consequence of these monsters. Um, and they're just not taking it seriously enough. And yet again, the whole country being plunged into this navel-gaving exercise of internecine warfare amongst the Conservative Party, it's, it's grotesque. Alex Andrea from your Oh God, What Now podcast said, and I quote, it was so obvious to anyone looking from the outside that she would be entirely out of her depth. And that leads to an almost to a conspiracy theory with some suggesting, Naomi, that she was set up to fail. <laughs> well, Johnson backed Truss um, uh, and some have suggested that he did that because he knew she would be a disaster. He'd worked closely with her um, and, that, of course, he wanted to stick it to Rishi, um, who had knifed him uh, and lay the ground for his own return. And, of course, we know that women in power are so often held to impossible standards. But in this case, Trust really had nobody to blame but herself. She ignored all sound advice. She stacked her cabinet with acolytes and, and people that would say yes to her. And by enacting all of her libertarian fantasies, she crashed the economy and caused hardship for millions. So, you know, a, a lot of the media is focused on who is replacing trust, trust rather than the consequences of her actions. Um, and, you know, and as I was saying before, you know, this, this is going to cause people to lose their homes, to go hungry. Public services are going to be cut. It is unforgivable. And at no point did trust question whether she had what it took to be prime minister. And of course, the same can be said of Johnson. They see it as an opportunity for self-promotion rather than important responsibility. We can hear, well, we heard Ian grinding his teeth, but he thinks he can endure <laughs> the thought of Rishi Sunak. What about you, Naomi? Um, well, I, we don't have a choice. Um, it's it's important to keep the pressure up for a general election. Um, is he a safe pair of hands? Relatively speaking, he, you know, might be, he yeah. appears competent when compared to Johnson and Trust, but that is a catastrophically low bar. And he was steering the economy up until June. So his fingerprints are all over our current economic woes. He was a hardline Brexit backer during the referendum. And his leadership pledges reveal that, you know, he's, he's more than willing to lurch even further to the right on immigration, on economics, on spending, on building new homes, which he does not want to do. Um, and of course, he is also a lawbreaker. Remember, both he and Johnson got those fixed penalty notices for breaking the law during lockdown. And he's reconfirmed his commitment to breaking international law by sticking with the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill, which tears up the protocol uh, and the international treaty the UK signed with the EU not that long ago. So, uh, I mean, my, my teeth are already pretty much ground down to stumps, uh, but uh, <laughs> we persist. Now, if Truss is uh, perhaps the most disastrous PM in, uh, in British history, Naomi, 
Rishi Sunak is far and away the wealthiest. How is that going to play out in a country which is under such financial stress? I mean, it's it, it, it always was incomprehensible to me that we could have a chancellor so, so many times richer than the average person in the UK. I mean, we are a very unequal country when it comes to the distribution of wealth. He is extraordinarily wealthy and, you know, much was made of that, particularly by Team Johnson when they were trying to discredit him and his wife's non-DOM status, tax status, uh, and, and his green card with the USA and things like that. So that was always a problem, I think, in, even in good times. I think that, you know, that there is a challenge to being so out of step with the lives of average people. But when you throw into stark contrast with the cost of living emergency that we're facing now... <laughs> It's Where inter- people who are even middle class are struggling. You know, this isn't just a, a poverty issue. This is people that consider themselves generally to be quite wealthy, to be struggling to pay their bills. It is incredibly difficult to see how he can relate to that. And I think voters will know that. I, I take some comfort from the fact he's the, he would be the first minority ethnic PM. And, uh, and of course, today Hindus are celebrating Diwali. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think I think that is wonderful. If we can salvage anything from it, it is that, of course, it's wonderful uh, that we've got our first non-white prime minister. I think that is brilliant and wonderful and absolutely something that that we should be um, proud of. But uh, let's judge him on his policies, on the things he's done to date, on the things he's pledging to do. And unfortunately, most of those don't signal good news for Britain. Ian, I know that you've got no teeth left, but do you take some consolation in the ethnicity of your hypothetical Prime Minister? Yeah, I do. It's got to be limited, right? Because, I mean, he, he hasn't got there through an election. So it, it, it doesn't bear any kind of comparison with something like, you know, Obama being elected in the US, where, you know, the, because the public are involved, it demonstrates something quite conclusively. Here, we don't quite have that that sort of luxury. I mean, it, it's come through the sort of weird internal processes of the party itself. But nevertheless, there's something quite telling about the moment. Um, not the least of which is how rarely it's mentioned. And that's the thing that really gives you hope, that it really does feel at the moment like an irrelevance. Now, I don't want to put too much confidence in that because it's perfectly possible that over the next couple of years, and I think you will make it for a couple of years, we're going to see some some ugly, mucky stuff sort of emerging from the borough. And you, and you can even hear sometimes with the way that the far right or the hard right, you know, the people around Nigel Farage, the way that they use coded language like globalist for certain kinds of individuals carries with it that kind of ring of dangerous language. And that could continue. But at the moment, I have to say, that is the one positive thing you can take from what's happening today is that he's in that place and he is who he is. Naomi, tell me about that smiling gentleman over there who I believe his name is uh, Keir Starmer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, Well, uh, look, Labour needs to take nothing for granted at the moment. They do remain ahead in the polls, but they will face a new and likely more competent Prime Minister in either of the candidates, frankly, than the ones that have come before them. But but let's assume for now it is still likely to be Rishi Sunak. Um, uh, but, you know, Labour are, are in a tricky position because although those poll leads are there, 
that the new prime minister for the Conservatives might get a little bounce. But there are also a lot of people responding to polls with don't know. So some of those huge poll leads for Keir Starmer's Labour Party have about 20 or sometimes even 30% of people saying they don't know how they're going to vote. Why does this matter? Well, because historically, we know that a lot of those don't knows tend to be what pollsters refer to as shy conservatives. So people that when confronted with an actual election rather than answering a question in a poll survey, break towards the Conservatives. So we could still be in hung parliament territory. And before before I let you both go, I have to ask you this, Ian. Uh, might he seek an audience with HM later today? Sunak, I mean, almost certainly. I mean, that is almost certainly the way that things are going to go. I mean, it would be a very surprising outcome from where we are right now that we don't have a new prime minister by the end of the day. But, you know, bear in mind that last time I spoke to you, I thought that Liz Truss was going to make it probably until Christmas. So take it with as much salt <laughs> as you need. <laughs> It'll be the first time since 1940 that a new PM has taken over for the second time since the previous general election. Yeah, and it's becoming, look, there's a constitutional reason for that, you know, as, as you guys obviously understand, which is, that, you know, when you have an election, it's basically for the MP, it's not for the prime minister, and this stuff shouldn't be pertinent. But we are now pushing the public acceptance of the validity of that constitutional argument to its very, very limit. Like, there's a real sort of profound sense, an elemental sense in people, if this can't be right, to just keep on swapping them out like this. But, you know, when you come down to it, ultimately, that is the way the constitutional system works, technically, and it is just technically that, that thread that it's hanging on, they can do this as much as they like. Look, thank you both for coming on short notice. Ian Dunn, columnist with the I newspaper, and Naomi Smith, chief executive of Best for Britain, a regular guest on the Oh God, What Now podcast alongside the aforementioned Mr Dunt. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.